guys, my name is Sean Fallon and you're listening to episode 3, Twin Peaks. Welcome to From First to Last. Hello again and welcome again. My name is Sean Fallon and this is From First to Last. Welcome to episode three. Uh, today my guest, he's a writer, he's a blogger, he's a cinema enthusiast, he's the ghost who walks, he is Jack Augustus Godwin. Hello Jack, how are you today? I'm good today, thanks for having me man. Yeah, no problem, it's uh, always good to have, well it's it's been mostly American so far, so it's nice to have uh, someone from England on to kind of shake it up a bit, which is good. Yeah, yeah. So, what show did you choose for us today? I chose Twin Peaks. Awesome. Okay, let me just run some numbers for you. So, Twin Peaks ran for 30 episodes and a movie. Uh, it's premiered April 8th, 1990, and it concluded on June the 10th, 1991. So, with Twin Peaks, you have sort of um, a quite unique experience, um, as recently documented on Audiences Everywhere. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, well, um, I... Uh... There's a cinema that's a, a wonderful cinema called Duke of York's Picture House, which is, I, I believe it's uh, the oldest, like, still running cinema in uh, England. And uh, basically they ran a marathon of every single episode of Twin Peaks over one weekend. Uh, and I went there and I there was free coffee and free donuts and I sat in the cinema and I watched all 30 episodes in a row. Amazing. Like, how? What kind of breaks between episodes? There was um. They showed like uh two together. So it's like watching a movie, basically a short movie, okay. and then you get then you get fifteen minutes break, and then launch into the next one. And um, and then I think we got we got like an hour for each, you know, uh, meal. You know, so like a. Uh, and I think in um the only time I slept was uh there was a breakfast thing at 6 a.m. on the second day and me and my uh, the person I went with like just had a nap for like 45 minutes of that and that Amazing. was it. So like you just just went in sat down and it started and then you didn't emerge until so it was like you went in on Saturday afternoon and emerged on Sunday morning or? I, I went in on a Saturday morning and came out on Sunday evening. That's incredible. Um, yeah it, it was weird because I mean on um during the breaks like sometimes I would just go outside for fresh air and you just completely, I mean, I'm sure you've had it where you go in the cinema maybe early evening and you come out and it's suddenly dark and it feels strange. Yeah. But I just had that like, you know, like 10 times because, you know, I'd, I'd go out at like four in the morning, you know, and then be like, Oh, right. Like, you know, I'm getting like, I'm seeing like, you know, drunk people walking yeah. past like on their way home. It's really strange. That's that. I've never. I mean, the only time I've ever really done like a full, um, like movie marathon in the cinema was when um, Dark Knight Rises came out. I managed to um, persuade my wife to come with me, and all it was, we went and they showed Batman Begins, fifteen minute break, Dark Knight, fifteen minute break, and then it was like the midnight premiere of Dark Knight Rises, and even that, that was like nine hours in the cinema, and afterwards we sort of came out and we were knackered, but I couldn't imagine. Because you're just living in the cinema, aren't you? You are just like, I, I don't know. It, it feel I just imagine at the end of it on Sunday evening, everyone just like emerging from the cinema, just like 
blinded by the sun and just like, oh, what year is it? Who's the president? You know, just completely broken. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, you know, you genuinely, like, needed coffee to keep with it, which yeah. meant, like, I've never had, like, that much coffee over, like, you know, in one period, and it was a little strange. Um, but it was, uh, it was kind of like... A dream, like, like Twin Peaks, it was a dream. <laughs> it was a dream, and it was a nightmare. You know, like yeah. uh, it was, it was, a, it was a little like unsettling. But at the same time, I've always wanted to sleep in the cinema. I know yeah. that sounds strange, but like, and I know people say they've slept during movies. But even if I hate something, I don't want to miss anything. So I've yeah. never, I've never napped or nodded off in the cinema. But this time, I got an uh, excuse to. Which only made me look a little bit weird when I tell people about it. <laughs> yeah, no, a, like what? Um, did they show um the movie as well, or just the TV show? Uh, no, they didn't show the movie. I when they first announced it, I was a bit bummed out. I was like, oh, if I'm going to be there for you know thirty three hours. Yeah. At least show the movie as well. What's another two hours? But once they did show the last episode, I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going home. Like, yeah. I can't handle. I was planning on when I got home just putting in the DVD of Firewalk with me, mm. but I got home and I was like, I can't handle this anymore. You know, <laughs> and I just, I just had to like, you know, try to sleep. Yeah, no, that's 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 absolutely nuts. So, I mean, with Twin Peaks, how did you first um, get into it? Like, how did it first sort of enter your sphere of influence? I think I just a friend of mine had like uh, referenced or recommended uh, mm. David Lynch. And I think I, I saw a razor head, which I love, but I don't think it's the best <laughs> introduction yeah. to a director. I didn't know what was going on. But um and then they said, Oh, when you check check out Twin Peaks and uh and I got I got into it and I watched it all it wasn't it was like a I don't know, maybe like four or five years ago. Hmm. Um and I, you know, just slowly watched it and got really into it and um and then after that I was like it was one of those things I was kind of looking for a new director to obsess over. Ah, so yeah. I just went went through Lynch's filmography and have like been obsessed with it ever since. I I just finished reading uh, a a book of like interviews with him called Lynch on Lynch, which is mm. great. Um, yeah, so like I I it's kind of it's kind of like my main focus in terms of media. It's really strange because I'm. I, you know, I've read, uh, ended up reading this. Uh, David Lynch's daughter actually wrote um, a book that came out between season one and season two called The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. Yeah. Which um, which didn't, you know, didn't tell you who the killer was, but, you know, alluded to it a little bit. And that okay. was great, you know. And I've got, like, the soundtrack and all this. I, I've... Uh, I, I, it's, kind of, it's kind of taken, especially recently, it's, it's taken over my life a bit. Yeah, no, I can't. well, there's um, there's a really good book, actually, um, that I need to get my hands on, The Oral History. I, I, I need to read that as well. Um, there's another one which uh, is called um, Cinema of David Lynch, which is pretty good as well as a collection of essays. I recommend that, but Lynch on Lynch is the best one because that I've read, at least, because yeah. um, it's like pretty much the only time I've seen someone interview David Lynch and actually manage to get him to talk about things <laughs> okay. he, he's very reluctant to talk about anything and even then sometimes um i think at one point they say oh so how did you make the eraser head 
baby and he just goes i'm not talking about this you know and, <laughs> okay. and that's just the end of that like he um he he's very secretive about a lot of stuff um but he when he can, so when he does speak about it it's kind of like uh, really interesting yeah. okay see for me lynch is a bit of a, a bit of a blind spot because i think i watched mulholland drive last week sort of in prep for this just to sort of get myself in that head uh, in that mindset and then I sort of realised, I think I've only seen, obviously, Twin Peaks, Mulholland Drive, Blue Velvet, and um, Dune. That's it, I think. <laughs> well, to be honest, these are, the, I think those are like cornerstones, really. Um, Dune, not necessarily for the right reasons. But... <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting experience. I, I watched, I read all the books and then watched the oh. movie. And I was like, you oh. must have hated it then. <laughs> well, I was sort of a bit. I was like, okay, this is. There was bits I liked because I, I, thought, I think it starts well, and I was like, oh wow, this is just. Does that sting? <laughs> you know. <laughs> wow. Oh, oh god, I I, I will say I because I it's notorious for being so bad. I was surprised at how much I liked it, which wasn't very much at all. But mm. you know, I did. There was I think the first time when Patrick Stewart shows up and he. Uh, he has this weird, like, terrible 80s CGI armor oh, that yeah. appears on him. And I was just like, this is amazing. This is, like, you know, kind of trashy, like, goodness. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, I like stuff in there. But, I mean, that's just, like, the worst adaptation scenario where um, the book fans aren't happy and the general audience is don't know what the hell is going on, you know, yeah. like, w why is this spice? Like, you come out of the end of the movie, like, I still don't know what the spice is. Yeah, the, the big fish engineer thing, and just, I mean, it was basically like, if you watch it now, Patrick Stewart has not aged. Just, it is just Patrick Stewart, yeah. it be Patrick Stewart now, which is... He's like, a, he's like Leslie Nielsen, in that there's just a whole period of time when they just, like, look exactly the same. Yeah, and that and that period of time is like thirty years. <laughs> you know, it's just this huge <laughs> amount of time where they just don't age. Um, other than, yeah, I think that's all I've seen. I I kind of that it's definitely one. Like Lynch is definitely one. I need to start filling in the blanks definitely because I like I say I watched Mulholland Drive and absolutely loved it. I was like, this is this oh, is great, incredible. Great. Like that's um, I I flip back and forth between um, Mulholland Drive was always my favorite. Um, and. Blue Velvet was underwhelming when I first saw it, but I saw it like it was one of the first ones I saw, and I rewatched it again the other day, and I like absolutely fell in love with it. And it was just, I mean, I think it it made so much more sense having seen his other stuff, and mm. also like even things like um like having watched more Hitchcock, ah uh, um, yeah, in between, then I'm like, oh, he's definitely playing with that kind of stuff, that voyeurism, and there's you know, I, it was really great experience because I was expecting to like, you know, be the one guy who loves David Lynch but doesn't love Blue Velvet. But that's that's really great movie. But I, I'm glad I'm glad you go into Mulholland Drive because that's a pretty intense Lynchian <laughs> stuff. You know. Well, um, it when I sort of when I, after I watched that, I was sort of having a look at like the making of and stuff like that, and you know, going on IMDb trivia and all that. And it was sort of like, by all accounts, the original idea for a Twin Peaks spin-off would have been Audrey Horn jumping in a Cadillac and going to Hollywood, and the the, the spin-off would have been, I think she would have been like the Betty character, 
and Mulholland Drive. Because originally they wanted Mulholland Drive to be a TV show. And then originally before that, yeah, it was going to be a Twin Peaks spin-off with Audrey Horn, which would have been very, very interesting. There's also like, there was like an in-between period where, um, where they, he made it as a pilot. I think that was, yeah. that was like maybe like an hour and a half. And then the studio said, came in and said, oh, actually we want it to be 45 minutes now. And so we had to cut all this stuff out and hated the finished products and the studio hated it. <laughs> and it sat on a shelf and then some, some producer who I've forgotten the name of, uh, sort of insisted that he get to see it and then said hey why don't you make this a movie and he yeah. reshot stuff i mean it makes no sense that more holland drive is even a passable movie from that production yeah but it's the fact that it's really good is phenomenal you can see bits of that when you're watching the film of like subplots that start but don't really go anywhere and you're like oh, okay i think that's all they're, they're left over from the tv show like the there's a great scene with the the hitman where he wants the address book <laughs> And he ends up killing, yeah. like, four people, and it's a whole thing. And that I, I, I get the feeling that's uh, part of something bigger that we never get to see. Yeah, also, like, um, I think there's a great, very long article that I recommend reading uh, by, don't know if you know, film crit Hulk. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he wrote uh, one called, like, uh, Hulk versus the Genius of Mulholland Drive. Yeah. And it's his interpretation of it. And oh. as far as I've read, that, like, seems like the best one for me. But he... He refers to like a, a huge section towards the end as effectively a like a there's like a section of the movie which is a cheat sheet, you know, where uh, they just kind okay. of they kind of skip they kind of skip over time and like give you all the clues you need in this one big burst, and you can tell that's like reshoots, you know, uh, like yeah. like he's kind of going like, oh, I was gonna spend a season revealing this stuff, but here you go, here it is yeah, in twenty awesome. minutes. Okay, interesting. Right, so I guess that's our experiences with Twin Peaks. Now, um, let's start with the first episode. What's what's your opinion of the first episode of Twin Peaks? Uh, I well, when I first watched it, I actually wasn't that into it. I cause I, I didn't get what it was going for. So when it was um, when it was melodramatic, you know, when it was soapy, I was mm. thinking, oh, this is accidentally bad. Um, right. Um, is failing in some way at being serious, uh, but like revisiting, I rewatched it again today, um, and I was like really taken aback by how much I like it. I think it's one of the better episodes of the show, actually. Yeah, I mean, we um, like my wife had never seen any Twin Peaks, so we sat down and watched the first one together, and um, yeah, like you say, it's very soapy and. It's very soapy, but it's very compelling. Like straight as soon as it was finished, my wife's like, "Oh God, I'm I love that." I'm, like she said, she was hooked. Like, like that had got her attention. Um, but the thing I noticed, which was really jarring for me, is whenever I think of Twin Peaks, or whenever people describe Twin Peaks, it's like it because it's a very weird show and it's very surreal and all that. But I was surprised, like that first episode, not huge amounts of that. You know, there's a sort of sense of like a slight these people live in the middle of nowhere oddness but some of the really weird elements that come in later just aren't there at all like it, it yeah. is more sort of this is a soap opera murder mystery with some slightly kooky characters like you're miles away from what comes later yeah well it's, uh, i think it's episode three when they first like uh show the red room and mm. the man from another place and that's the point where I think I, I wish I, I could have like, you know, been 
a TV watching age, yeah. you know, in 1990 to just have that suddenly happen. It would be unbelievable. You spend, you spend like uh, two hours with a show and then suddenly it completely changes. Yeah, I mean, that would have been, you know, 90, if there was Twitter in 1990, that would have just been the, you know, the biggest thing of people who were like live tweeting Twin Peaks, just like, what the fuck? You know, just this huge shift and this incredible, like that, that episode where he has the dream and he's in the room and everyone's talking backwards and all that. I Yeah, you say, you can't imagine what that would have, because for me, that, that is one of those things that's just in culture now. Like before I'd even seen Twitter, I, I only watched Twin Peaks myself a few years ago. Like I, I, I it was a, again, another blind spot and I wanted to fill it in. But I knew a lot of the ideas of it just from other culture. You know, I'd seen The Red Room on The Simpsons and I knew the, I'd seen spoofs of it. And I, I you know, it was something that I just knew. Like, um, you know, it was like the first time I saw Citizen Kane. Like I was sitting there watching it and I was like, all right, so you could make Citizen Kane just from spoofs from The Simpsons. You could make the whole movie. You know, they've done, they've done every single scene. Like, so it felt like it was something I'd seen before, even though I hadn't. But in 1990, people must have just been watching TV going, oh, I wonder who killed Laura Palmer. And the next minute just, what the fuck is this? You know, just absolutely blew their minds. And that was probably the tipping point for the show as well. You know, I think, because it was such a huge phenomenon that, that first season. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I mean, going back to the, the Simpsons thing, like, that was my... I, I didn't know it was Twin Peaks at the time. I didn't know anything about it, but I mean, I saw that um, that one um, that one where in Who Shot Mr. Burns when yeah. um, when uh, the, when Chief Wiggum has the dream and Lisa's you know trying to give him clues in an abstract way. And I remember seeing that at the time and just thinking like, what the hell is this show doing? And that was amazing to me. Like yeah, thinking, of what what a strange idea for the Simpsons writers to have. but but i mean i mean there's so many things with that in the simpsons i mean i i i'd already watched the site the shining basically before i'd actually seen the shining because of the treehouse of horror (laughs) yeah that that's it there is that weird thing of um it always happens yeah you you watch an old film and then there'll just be a scene and you're like oh i know this from somewhere and my first instinct is always like was it on the simpsons you're like oh yeah i can see homer you know, doing this whole sequence, you know, and that's, that makes sense now. That's, that's what I'll definitely have to do on this podcast is the Simpsons. Like probably not wait until it finishes, just start yeah, a rule that just like, cause it's ran for so long. We can just pick like the last episode of the most recent season. I think. I, I feel like it's going to go on until like after we're long dead. <laughs> yeah. I think <laughs> that's honesty. it. The Simpsons will bury us. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. So yeah. So going back. So the first episode, um, what, there's a lot to like in it and a lot of weird things, but obviously it has, for me, the, the like Dale Cooper, I feel like he is one of those characters that once you create a character like Dale Cooper, you can just hang the pen up. You can just be like, you know what? And I, I don't do better than this. This is it. This is, you know, Dale Cooper for me is like Ellen Ripley, Indiana Jones, just any of those characters. I, he's such an odd creation of david lynch and he's such a such a perfect david lynch creation and yeah and cal mclaughlin just plays him with like just that weird just glee just utter glee yeah he i mean in a lot of ways 
I've heard from, like I said in a lot of interviews and stuff, in a lot of ways he basically is playing David Lynch. Oh, okay. Like, like David Lynch will, like, you know, talk in that way, and he has a very, like, strange manner where he's very optimistic and happy-go-lucky, but there's a little bit of irony there. Yeah. Like, um, I think I was, I was reading today, actually, uh, David Foster Wallace, like, did a article on uh, Lost Highway, um, and he was talking about, like, um, the crew, the, he was interviewing the crew who were talking about David Lynch, and, like, he's the kind of guy who, like, will say five times in a minute, like, golly, or, like, <laughs> thanks, thanks a million, and, like, all this stuff that, like, is really strange when there's, like, all this, he's creating this dark stuff. Yeah. And that's kind of similar with, with Dale, uh, because, you know, I mean, I think the bit that lands it for me is when, he um he's asking um uh Sheriff Truman about like you know what are the what are these like amazing trees yeah. in this area and then once he's told he just sort of he just says Douglas Burrs and smiles and then there's silence and then he goes can someone give me a copy of the coroner's report on the dead girl yeah and, like, that's go, it goes, yeah. goes straight into like business it's, there's a bit of he's like a really nice guy but also there's a bit of a disconnect there it's a little bit strange. Yeah, that, that whole scene, isn't it? Because it's like, because he stops Truman, he's like, right, the FBI are taking over and gives him like the we're in charge spiel. And then when Truman's fine with it, he's like, oh yeah, and what are the trees and so on and so on, yeah. And there is that sort of sense of, when he, I think it's when he finds the letter underneath the fingernail. And uh, it's just, it's not like, oh, uh, he's not amazed that it's, it's utter glee that he's found this thing. Like, he's like, oh my God, it's a mystery. You know, it's like something in Scooby-Doo. Like he's he's, yeah. he's so gleeful of this idea that they've they've found this thing and it's gonna be this thing, um, and yeah, and just I I just find that character just absolutely incredible, um, for just because it would have been very easy to just introduce a sort of hard boiled detective into this small town and and just done that and done the old thing, but to have this sort of very unique and very unpredictable character is very very I think that definitely helps the. Again, the appeal of Twin Peaks. Because Twin Peaks was just, you know, a small-town murder mystery. These shows exist ten a penny. Like, the idea that this one took off so much is uh, is awesome. Hey, anything else about the first episode? Uh, oh, just a, a few things. Like, um, I just... Um, this is just one shot, which I think might be... I mean, I, it probably is my favourite shot in the whole show. It kind of sums it up in a way. It's just there's... A shot of um, Laura's face when she's like on the table in the morgue, and they just like there's like a transition into just the trees like blowing mm. in the wind, and it's one of like with the sound as well. It's one of the most like like it really captures the show just in that one shot, and I absolutely love it. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing that's amazing about Twin Peaks, and it never really sort of struck me, is how odd the opening credits are like the music is fantastic but then just the images are just like a road and then it's like saws being made and then a waterfall You're like what the what is any of this this, this doesn't you know it's, it's such an odd disconnect from what you what you would expect you know there's there's no like oh they you know pictures of the characters there's no images from the show it's just nature and then machines and then a waterfall, and then the sign for Twin Peaks. It's like just so odd. Like that's just yeah. 
I think there is that thing with the show that was just so unsettling as well. Like you didn't, like you say, that thing where it goes from Laura's face to the trees. It's it's an unsettling sort of transition with like Laura's face and the trees just being buffeted by the wind. And even though you can't explain it, it just is there. Like, oh, I just, you know, I, I feel uncomfortable. Even before that, they brought in the stuff of the Red Room and the actual surreal scenes, there's that there's always that feeling that something's not quite right. Yeah. I remember when I was first watching it, having known nothing about Twin Peaks and I was watching it, I had like all these crazy ideas about where it could go because I was like, like you know, this could be anything. This could be Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Like, there's such a strange feeling just to everyone. You know, the way the way people talk, the way the way the camera like lingers on like the words or anything. There's always mm. that feeling of like David Lynch has that thing. I I remember once someone mentioned to me he could make an apartment tour look creepy. Yeah. Because, you know, he can just film like an empty room, you know, and it just feel you feel like, oh, what am I not seeing here? Um, yeah, that's that's very true. Like the and the music as well. You know, um the having the music in the background, that just that slow, like low, just ominous theme. And yeah, you always just I I did feel like that when I was watching it uh, the other night. I was like, I feel like there's something about to jump out. Is is there something like someone's gonna turn, there's gonna be someone behind them. You're like you're waiting for the horror movie reveal, but it never comes, and that's then that's worse. You know, you ne- you only get that sense of like the kettle's boiling, but it never boils. You know, there's just that or that thing of waiting for. Oh yeah, you say looking for the thing that you can't see, like what's yeah, hiding. And, that, and that's that's exactly what he wants, really, because that's why. I mean, they didn't want to reveal um, the mm. killer at all. That was like a. They were, they were forced into doing and then you know they did it and they knew who they wanted to be the killer from the start but they you know the idea was that feeling of like chasing the mystery and being like oh what's next yeah like that that's kind of you know why i think the ending works because like you're not you have to um it's the kind of thing this show has to kind of go on forever yeah you know in a way like there's no way to like if you things were completely satisfied it would go against like the whole philosophy of the show it's like it's why um like i think one of the closest things to twin peaks actually is uh lost mm. which um i came to way before twin peaks and that was where i first got that feeling of you know something just weird and our place would happen and the episode would end you think oh i'm so interested and i don't even know why yeah um, i think yes yeah, so i can yeah, well, I was just saying, like, you know, everyone seems to hate the lost ending, and I think, while I think they could have done it better, at the same time, the fact that they were having to answer things at all was kind of the problem, because the thing that was interesting about that show was, like, the the element of mystery and the cliffhangers and everything. Yeah, very much so. I think there was that whole, as it, as it built up to the last season of Lost, there was that thing of, like, oh, they're going to answer this question, they're going to answer that question. You're like, well... It doesn't matter if they do or they don't. Just let them do their thing and we'll just see how it goes because they're never going to answer it in a way that's satisfying for everyone and and so on and so on. And like you say, I think with Twin Peaks, having to answer who killed Laura Palmer sort of took a lot of the air out of the show. Yeah, that's definitely the winding down point. Well, not not the reveal, but once um, like that investigation's completely concluded... Mm then it just kind of sits around while, like, I think at that time, like, David Lynch 
got a bit got a bit like uh irritated with like the way the studio was interfering and then he went off and made wild at heart yeah and then and then in that period everyone's just like treading water because and they do what what is the absolute worst thing to do in that situation when they start like chasing the specifics too much you know mm. they it becomes like a fantasy show it's about like you know they go to this owl cave and there's an ancient artifact in it and all that stuff and it's like oh no that's not what was interesting you know um, yeah that yeah i think it does go into that thing of um what's the weirdest stuff we can do and it's because i think once lynch leaves and they try and emulate him they completely fail you know i think there's a lot of stuff in that second season which is i mean there's a weird the weird thing with twin peaks i found when i was watching it it only has two speeds which are artistic genius unmitigated shite you know there's nothing sort of in the middle it's either um you know fantastic see like you say fantastic eerie scenes with that lynch has done or it's nadine having super strength and thinking she's a teenager you know it's that's that's it they're the two sort of sides for me because when that show is bad it is bad i think for me like even though those i think those scenes are bad because it's no longer satirical and it's no longer got a dark edge it's just the soap cliches that it's was taking the piss out of before whereas like you know um i so when it comes to stuff like the nadine stuff it is terrible i do unfortunately kind of enjoy it still like oh, okay i find i find it like you know comforting i enjoy watching it but i mean if i was you know just watching it by myself I, i'd skip over those episodes because there's nothing actually like interesting mm. going on really and then the the absolute worst thing, the thing that is absolute shite, is James's subplot in season two, which his little weird softcore porno. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, not only do they leave Twin Peaks, which already feels wrong to do for like three episodes, but they shoulder the entire plot line, which is you know really derivative as it is. They shoulder that whole thing on the talents of, uh, I've forgotten his name, but the guy who plays James, and he is just the worst. And you know, I, I mean, <laughs> the, when I watched it in the in uh, the cinema, like you know, there were those were the times when people were sleeping or yeah. going to the toilet or groaning, you know, like because it was so like mind-numbingly boring. Um, those are the only points really in the whole show though that I'm actively like I want to leave the room whereas even the stuff with Nadine I can kind of I can kind of like it's acceptable I guess yeah. I it's just it's just a waste you know um, which is I think it's comparable to um, I don't know if you ever watch Community um, I watched the but... first three seasons oh, okay well like Dan Harmon gets fired uh, oh, I tried to watch the... the fourth and it was shite yeah, that's the thing. He gets yeah. uh, he gets fired, and then they have a similar. They have a team of writers there who for season four who are like, you can tell they're kind of community fans mm. because they'll the characters don't do things that are completely out there, but it feels like fan fiction. It, it it's like it's superficially there, but there's no there's no actual like of the actual heart that made that show good. Yeah, and that's why that season sucks, and that's kind of what happened with Twin Peaks because. 
you know, David Lynch needed to be there to just kind of come in and shake it up, which yeah. he did in the last episode where they already had a script, but he kind of came in and rewrote it and, you know, changed whatever he could, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, well, okay, let's get into that then, though. For the last episode, like, I did read, there was, yeah, the two versions. It was like, this is what originally was going to happen, and this is what Lynch did. And you can instantly see that it's, you know, you. I, I can. It'd be weird to to write a script and then he comes in and says, "No, at the end we're going to do this instead." And in, and he writes the entire Black Lodge sequence, and you'd be like, "What the fuck?" Okay, because that final sequence in the Black Lodge is so amazing. There's so much with it, and it's. He, I think there is that thing with Lynch, and I think a lot of people have said this before me. He's definitely one of the few filmmakers who can capture that weird sort of complete understandable logic and utter confusion of a dream. You know, the idea yeah. that there are rules that you know you have to follow, but you don't know where they've come from and they don't make sense, but you do have to follow them. And that's sort of like the idea, like, you know, and that is the dream. And that final sequence is very much like, yeah, no, I can, you know, you've got an idea of you're running somewhere, but you can't get anywhere. You're seeing people who shouldn't be there. And it's, it's just so, it's absolutely incredible. Like, I mean, that episode obviously builds up to that and has a, a few little mini cliffhangers. But once it just sort of stops and says, no, this is, we're in the Black Lodge now for a good 15, 20 minutes. That sequence is just amazing. Like, Laura Palmer, when she's like screaming backwards, scared the shit out of me. Yeah, the whole, you like, literally, it's almost easier to talk about what doesn't work in that sequence, which I think the only thing is, uh, is, uh, that didn't work for me is Wyndham Earl, who, mm. like, he really, like, <laughs> in his few, seat, uh, like, shots in there, he really sort of mugs for the camera. Yeah. You know, and makes, he, like, he seems to, he's a lot on, on a silly level that no one else is in that room. But everything else there is... Like, some of the scariest stuff I've ever seen, let alone um, just in the show or just on television. Yeah. There, there's, um, there's, I, I don't know if I'm just, like, not looking in the right places, but there's not really that much, like, good horror on TV. There's stuff that shows that dabble in it slightly, or stuff mm. that uses, you know, horror concepts and, and, and uses the genre, but... There's, it's very rare that shows like straight up go to like unsettle you and to scare you, yeah. and that whole sequence is just really gets to you because I think the the main thing I mean there's lots of like really just genuinely um, scary moments like Laura screaming, but there's also there's a feeling like you don't feel safe as a viewer mm. because there's I mean no one like. You know, they don't talk to the camera or anything, but there's a lot of like you feel like they're breaking the rules and they're hmm. in, they're displaying it in front of you. We can do what we want. This isn't gonna like have a happy ending in the way you'd expect it to, which culminates really in uh, one of the last things in Black Lodge I absolutely love is moment where uh, Cooper's doppelganger just walks past, uh, walks up to the curtain by the camera and then he just before he walks through he just looks at the camera and yeah. smiles yeah and it's terrifying because you just it's like lynch is going yeah this is what i'm doing you yeah. 
you don't know what I'm going to do next, but I'm going to fuck with you. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing as well with that episode is, you know, it has... the. I think there's, like, three sequences that aren't related to the Black Lodge. So you have, like, the Haywoods and their sort of, like, who's Donna's father sequence. Nadine getting a memory back. And um, uh, Bobby and Shelley in the diner. And it is that sort of thing of, like... Lynch is saying, like, this is normality, this is normal, this is what we have been doing, these are soap opera things. So, oh, and, and sorry, there's a fourth one, there's Audrey in the bank as well. And these are very soap opera cliffhangers. Um, to, like, lull you into a sense of, like, okay, so Cooper's going to save Annie, or Cooper's not going to be able to find Annie, and there's going to be some sort of cliffhanger there. And he lulls you into a false sense of security, and then just, yeah, just pulls the rug entirely, and he's like, no, 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 this is... All of your nightmares, enjoy them on primetime television, you know? Yeah, there's... I mean, in all honesty, I think it's one of, like, the most perfect episodes of television that I've ever seen because even those all those segments have a purpose in themselves. Yeah. Like, uh, like I think the, the one with uh, Shelley and Bobby is purely there at, for, like, a... You know, uh, for a tonal difference to, like give you a moment to relax, you know, and, and unwind. And they even, they repeat dialogue um, yeah. from the pilot, which is kind of, like you say, it's going back to the normality. And the other ones are all, like, plot lines which David Lynch didn't start, and they were all, you know, things like Nadine's thing, which was ridiculous. Yeah. But, and he just comes in, and he rewrites them so that all those scenes end horribly. And, yeah. which I think is, like, amazing, because... And why, as well, like I can say that I I I don't mind the Nadine's Nadine's cheerleader thing, mm. because when I think of it, I think of it in the way it ends. Yeah. Because it has it, he he like retroactively makes all those pointless episodes into a build up for this horrible scene of like, oh no, everything's gone wrong again. Yeah, that's um, it. I mean. You look at it more tragically now, don't you, when you rewatch it, because you're like, oh yeah, this is all fun and games, and poor Ed's about to get everything he wants. I'm like, oh no, mate, just if you wait, a sandbag is going to bring all your bring all your woes right back to you. Yeah, and uh, the same thing with um, like Donna's thing about um, who's her father. Start. I mean, it's just, again, it's a it's a stupid plot line of you know, it's cliches of you know. Bad guy tries to mend his ways. Yeah, he has this whole Scrooge arc, and uh, you know, and but then right at the end to have like Doctor Hayward, who is you know just the most normal, <laughs> homely, nice guy in the whole show, who does nothing wrong, to have him just like commit like a moment of violence like that, which yeah. is kind of sudden and brutal, is really unsettling. And then as well, like um. I read earlier, there's a, originally in the script, he hits him and then rushes to his aid and apologizes. Yeah, and then Lynch makes changes sense. it. And then Lynch changes it so that instead he leaves him on the floor and just sort of howls in anger. Yeah. Which is like, oh, right, like he just like stripped away even that like moment of niceness. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no reconciliation. It's just like, no, 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 let's, let's, put, let's have everyone oddly unsettled before we really unsettle them. I mean, it's a fantastic thing as well, like, as an ending as well. If you, you know, if you were someone who was watching Twin Peaks obsessively and then obviously you heard it got cancelled and you're like, oh, I wonder how they're going to wrap it all up in the last episode. 
So the final image is like the what like the one pure character is is you know trapped in the black lodge and been replaced by this complete evil version of him and then the credits roll you know fuck you that's it done it's it's odd because i i mean i always without knowing anything about it i always thought of it in my head as uh, that lynch knew the show was getting cancelled and came over and put like you know the cherry on top Mm. but then reading into it it's like oh he did he came in for the ending and changed what he wanted to but he thought he was hoping for a season three. He was hoping to continue that plot line. It yeah. wasn't meant to be an ending. But this is where I think the whole death of the author thing comes in for me because I think as a piece of art, as a two-season show, um, that works as an ending because it's it's a really like kind of nihilistic ending, but it's a kind of thing of like you know that whole thing they say about the Black Lodge of you know, if you go in with imperfect college, uh, I can't talk, uh, imperfect courage, then, you know, you will be annihilated or, yeah, or whatever yeah. the, the phrase is. And the idea of Cooper demonstrating just his absolute pure heart throughout the whole thing and then to be taken over in that way yeah. is, like, really shocking. Because, like, even after the, um, the Black Lodge sequence, you don't expect them to break the rules in that way. You don't expect them to have that turn. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Like, he gets rescued from the Black Lodge, so you sort of think, okay, how would it end? You know, I can't, well, I'm not going to try and out Lynch Lynch and end it, but, like, it's Cooper is your moral censor. He is your hero, you know. He's the one who's supposed to be incorruptible, especially because, like, that character is a, just a pure good guy, isn't he? You know what I mean? He just does good things. And so to have that shift of like, yeah, all like, like I was saying, you in that episode you have normalcy and it shifts to the Black Lodge. Well, you have your sort of, you know, your, your North Star is Dale Cooper, but then at the end of the episode, no, that's gone as well. So what's going to happen next in this in this town full of, you know, people who have done terrible things, and now your one good guy is also now the worst guy, you know, and then it ends. Yeah, I mean, it it makes me very very curious about. Um, the the next series that the limited series that they're making now because yeah, so... I no idea how they're gonna follow it up. Well, apparently, like from I think in October this year, the uh, Mark Frost has written a book which is supposed to like bridge the gap. And then, oh, okay. And then, but the the TV show looks amazing. Like looking at like you know Naomi Watts is in it, Laura Dern's in it, um, like pretty much everyone's come back. Uh, they've been filming all over the world, and then now there's like someone said something on Twitter, because I think it's is it eight, I think it's eighteen episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's around that. Someone I, they, I, they, they started hinting at it not being the only one as well. There is definitely a yeah. hint that if it's good, they'll keep making them. Yeah, which I mean, personally for me, this is like it feels like a, a cheating way to get more Lynch because he he made Inland Empire in two thousand and seven, I think, and. Yeah. That was like, after that, everything he said about it, he's been like, I'm, he's making albums and he's painting and all this stuff. But, you know, I, he's saying, oh, I'm never going to make a film again. I'm never going to make a film again. And now it was yeah. like that. I found out all this, like exactly the point when I got into him. So I was really <laughs> bummed out about it. Yeah. But um, to hear him doing Twin Peaks, I don't know how he's going to, you know, bridge the gap. But I'm just glad he's like, 
you know, using a camera. Yeah, <laughs> that's know, it. So and... if it has to be Twin Peaks for him to, like, make stuff again, then I'm all for it. Yeah, because that could be it. It might just, like, wake him up and he goes, oh, no, this is A, so let's make more stuff. Or you get, you know, because he's directed every episode, I think. So you've got 18 little David Lynch movies coming your way. Yeah, exactly. And um, and all the best episodes of uh, Twin Peaks are the David Lynch directed ones as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Because he did, he, I think he only did like, you know, five or six or something of them. But they're always the ones where he just comes in and like shakes it up again or like, you know, establishes something. They're always the best ones for sure. Yeah. Okay, so going from first to last, um, my my wife obviously has only now seen the first and last episodes of Twin Peaks. So we watched the first one, she was hooked. And then before we watched the last one, she was like, oh, I don't know whether I should watch this or you can just watch it. And she was going to go away and watch the episodes, you know, as in order and watch the whole thing. And then she changed her mind and said she'd watch the last one. And she was not a fan. And she, that's it. Now. She, she's like, oh, you know, I don't think this is for me at all. Because she was like, so does this happen all the time? I was like, no, no, the Black Lodge thing is like the Red Room's in like one episode and then they talk about it a bit. And she was like, nah, who killed Laura Palmer? Okay, and why is she? Why is why is she got no memory? And who's the dude in the cabin with the spiders? And just wanted the, all the gaps filled in. She's like, nah, I don't need to watch this. So I think it is. Um, yeah, I think I, so far with this podcast, I haven't really had a chance to do that of like have someone and sit them down and just give them first and last. Um, but yeah, I think that was an interesting one. The the first episode had her completely hooked, and she was totally into everything. And the last episode just turned her off completely which is yeah. um interesting i'm curious i'm curious whether that would have been the same if she'd seen the whole thing or not because mm. on the one hand maybe she she's one of the viewers who like the many people who like would have got to that end after watching the whole thing and be like really that's it yeah you know or like maybe that's why they didn't introduce that stuff in the first episode so they could lure you into that was it yeah. yeah, they can get you used to the weirdness. I'm not sure because I think a lot, a lot of there's a lot of like you know a huge fan base of Twin Peaks, but a lot of people watch it in a different way to me. You know, mm. I feel like a a lot of people <laughs> they, they don't like... go to cinema and watch every episode one after another. <laughs> Is that yeah, what you're yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's only like twenty of us who did that. <laughs> yeah. who st- stayed until the end. But, um, yeah, I think a lot. Uh, there's certain people who watch it, like, ironically, I think. And then there's mm. some people who watch it because they're, like, their main thing is, like, you know, oh, who who killed Laura Palmer? Which, yeah. I mean, I'm, I always wanted to know, but I was also, like, you know, curious about everything about it. I wanted it to keep going. Um, yeah. And it's, it's strange to, to think that, like, there was people making a show who weren't interested in, like the answer to the mystery yeah. whereas like 90% of the people watching are like you know you know hooked on wanting that answer yeah well yeah I mean I think there is that thing of and I know I've read before that they were trying to have you know the town and the story transcend the mystery so the mystery could just be something that was running in the background but it wouldn't it would gradually as the seasons went on just be faded out bit by bit until it what you know eventually it would just become a cold case and it's like oh we just can't work it out and the, the whatever and it would have been a great one for them as well if they'd ran for you know 
10 seasons. Once the once the uh, ratings started to dip, they could be like, this is the season we're going to tell you who killed Lower Palmer, and everyone would have come back. Like. But I think it's, it's a shame that the studio sort of told them that they had to reveal the murderer. Because, yeah, when you watch the show, that is definitely the point where things dip. Because a lot of characters lose their point. You know, James Hurley, his whole character arc is based on Laura getting killed. Without Laura in there, he's just some weird biker dude who, like the other teenagers, is sort of trapped in the 50s. Because like, there's that weird thing, like, everyone's a grown-up, but the kids are all, like, they're wearing 50s clothes and the bikers and they're all in, like, you know, T-bird jackets and stuff like that. Um, and yet there are just a handful of characters who they have no point to exist in the show without the murder mystery. But then the murder gets revealed and we're stuck with these characters. So they have to send James on some weird double indemnity, stupid plot with a woman with fucked up teeth and and we're supposed to find that entertaining. And yeah, that's, that's a real shame. Yeah, well, I mean, I will say that I'm, I'm not sure if I'm angry that they, that they uh, revealed the killer because that... The episode where they do reveal it is probably my favorite episode um and i do love that one but it is immediately after that the things start to dip because yeah. there's also a, a thing where when it's a secret twin peaks kind of works as a town but then there's there's a scene where they have where cooper has to tell um has to tell laura's mother that oh yeah leland killed her yeah and but then they kind of make it a thing where he's like, oh, but don't worry, like, he, he turned to the light at the end. And then yeah. she's like, oh, that's fine then. And then she, like, disappears from the show. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, this is weird. And then, like, no one, they have a funeral for Leland as if he was, like, a good guy and everything's fine. Mm. And then no one ever talks about Leland ever again. Yeah. Which is, like, it makes sense for, like, you know, the uh, FBI and uh, and Truman to, like, be thinking about the Black Lodge and all this stuff, but everyone else must be like, oh, that's fucked up. Leland, yeah, yeah. like, murdered his daughter. <laughs> well, I think he should have kept... Because, yeah, obviously, Leland kills himself in prison, doesn't he? Doesn't he run into the wall? Yeah. Yeah. They should have kept him in, like, a <laughs> Silence of the Lambs thing. Just had him there, like... And they had to kind of... Cooper would have to go and talk to him, and he'd be all killer barb and all fucked up. Like, that would have been awesome. Yeah, I, th- I think maybe maybe the writers at that point just, like, didn't know what to do with him. So, like, oh, this is having his head on the wall. Yeah. Until he dies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's about as creative as we can be. You know, we can't be wasting time on this. We've got to give uh, Nadine cheerleader plot lines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so, that, I think, anything else you want to add about Twin Peaks before we wrap up? Um... Anything pressing, anything? Oh, okay, well, very, very quickly. Now, obviously, the, mo- the TV show is followed by the movie Fire Walk With Me, which oh, yeah. is not well received um you you told me on twitter that you enjoyed it i i really like it i, I changed i changed my mind I, I watched it actually today um again uh like i think it's my third time and each time i watch it i like change my mind about it okay. like uh but i've always like you know if you average that out i do like it uh each time because but the thing is it's so different from the show yeah. that like i feel like i'm watching it appreciating it as a lynch fan not a twin peaks fan because um like there's so many things in there which are both because of what lynch wanted to do and because of the things he like physically couldn't do 
in the production, like they just omitted so much of what people love about Twin Peaks. Yeah, that I think. Is, yeah. And, and like Carl, Carl McLachlan, I, I think he um, he was meant to be there for the full shoot, but then something happened and he couldn't do it, so they rewrote it so that he was in it less. Yeah. And there was a lot of stuff like that. But I mean, there is the thing. There was the uh, the missing pieces where they there's an hour and a half of deleted scenes, right. which uh, were thought to be lost, and then they found them like about a year or two back and released them on the Blu-ray. Oh, okay. And and I and apparently they're really good, and people have started saying that you know they're reevaluating it with this new footage, and I'm really curious about that. But like, any for some reason that. They sold out of it in the UK, like uh-huh. so. I can only if I, I can only get like a Region One American like DVD, or I can get a used one on eBay for like you know a hundred quid. Wow. Um, so I'm not. So I I've been putting off doing that, but like I mean that might change minds about the film. I think, but yeah, maybe. I mean I, I like it itself. It's just it's just like whereas Twin Peaks was just a lot of it it, it had a lot of different tonal things going on it was it was it was satire and it was horror and it was it was comedy and it was melodrama it was all this stuff fire walk me was pretty much just a straight up like surreal horror movie yeah um which means as well like when it's just that i think a lot of people were turned off by that and as well there's a it's a little exhausting and and uh like you know difficult to watch it is exhausting i did i did feel like when i watched it i was just like oh i'm just so tired please please come to the end (laughs) i'm done now i i think um for me i think it's like there's a a lot of scenes in there which are among um the best scenes in his whole career but there's a lot of lows as well it's a bit up and down that movie but i do on the whole like it quite a bit okay cool Right, um, so Jack, where can people find you? Where can they find your writing or things like that? Well, uh, I write on, uh, I write for audiences everywhere, um, which uh, you can also catch the article I wrote about uh, the marathoning uh, Twin Peaks on there. I have uh, my WordPress blog, which is uh, jackalexandergodwin.wordpress.com. Um, also, I'm, uh, uh, I'm one of the editors on a blog uh, blog we just started out called um manoscopy which is studying like modern masculinity and uh and that's uh manoscopy.wordpress.com and you can uh, catch some writing on there and uh some of it about film in fact uh the editor-in-chief david shreve of audiences everywhere um wrote a lovely article on there about magic mike XXL. Uh, that's, so, yeah, that's fantastic, that article. Yeah, so um, we're hoping to get more stuff like that on there, and uh, that you can check that out too. Awesome. Um, but yeah, most of the stuff's on audiences everywhere. Yep. Well, find Jack and all the... Uh, well, definitely, um, I'll put the link for your uh, Twin Peaks article in the link for this, this podcast, because it's fantastic. Oh, um, thanks, man. As usual, you can find me um, at Equiatic Bind. You can obviously find my writing also at audienceseverywhere.net. Um, what else? What else? Oh, if you want to be a guest on this show, you just need to find me at Twitter at first to last pod, uh, or you can email me uh, from first to last podcast at gmail.com. 
So, um, Jack, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. And this has been fantastic, and uh, we look forward to uh, when Twin Peaks returns next year. Yeah, if they don't delay it again. <laughs> if they don't delay it again, if it's not something that just gets delayed forever in a, a sort of Lynchian style, but it's a constant dream within a dream. Um, and yeah, that's it. Uh, my name has been Sean Fallon. This has been uh, From First to Last. Goodbye. <laughs>